gotta get it. You have to. I, I, I'm, buying, I'm buying everything. Cause I'm a hype piece, you know. How limited, bro? These are actually pretty fire, bro. And I'm the youngest flexer in the game. This is the In Hype Podcast. Don't believe the hype. Where Cali King talks entrepreneurship, manufacturing, marketing, and everything to dominate the physical product business. In the hype. Make the future and let's get into the show. This is the In Hype Podcast. I'm Cali King. I'm here to deliver the information to help you break inertia, launch your product, and fulfill your dreams and destiny. All right. So all seriousness, we're in a uh, critical situation right now. Uh, I'm friends with a lot of entrepreneurs online, chatting with a lot of people. It's interesting to see industries that are having kind of unpredictable success, right? And uh, other people that are struggling, government stepping in and doing what they can. But the most important piece to get back to at least for me, is a core tenant that we have. Opportunity is everywhere, right? I think, I believe that it's at times like this where you see amazing inventions, amazing new businesses happen. And it's kind of the dividing line between who was running kind of a red line fake business and who the hardcore entrepreneurs are, who the scrappy people are, who can really make it happen and see the gaps, solve, solve problems, right? Actually go to the market with something that people really, really need. So, yeah, opportunities everywhere, guys. If you're an education company, now's a great time for online education, right? Schools might change. If you're, if you're a business or a restaurant, like think, think, about, think about this, the uh, DoorDash and Seamless people, they're in such high demand, they just went on strike, right? Amazon, the people are being worked to the bone because now stores can't be open, so everybody's ordering things online. The whole infrastructure of the United States, of the world, the, all the business models are just changing, right? People are doing appointments, and they're doing digital shopping, and we're going to see AR startups, virtual reality startups that help us connect with people or even just do simple things like buy some new glasses or buy a shirt, right? Because the world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. And we can choose to be mired in dismay and depression, or we can get over ourselves and realize that all these things are out of our control and figure out what we can do, what's in our control, how we can change our lives and change the world. So, that's just the one upbeat thing. I wanted to get it out there, right? Now's not the time for fake fake garbage thinking, right? Now's the time for action. And uh, I'm readjusting, readjusting in all the businesses that I'm associated with and we're figuring out how to operate because we could be in this for two weeks. We could be in it for two months. But I know that on the other end of it, the world will have changed forever, right? And we have to adapt and evolve with it. I think, I think that that's pretty powerful. All right, so that being said, all that positive stuff, let me give you a tool. Let me give you an action tool, something that we use in my incubators and in my coaching programs. I'm going to give you an, an exercise because uh, you, you might have seen me post this on uh, Instagram or on, on LinkedIn before, 
but we want to become an idea machine. We want to be able to generate ideas on the fly. And not just any ideas, but ideas that are executable, ideas that that resonate with us, things that are important. So how do we do that? So we're going to do an exercise that I call level 10, right? And that's, I, I like ranking things. I like thinking about stuff in a subjective numeric way. So it's like, that's 10 out of 10, right? What's the 10 out of 10 idea? Well, 10 out of 10 idea hits all of those points. So what we're going to do, and I might brutalize this word, but there's a Japanese term, ikigai, right? And it combines a few things. It combines what you love. It combines what you're good at. It combines what somebody's going to pay for and what the world needs. And those circles of those things overlap. And at the center is the meaning of life. It's the meaning of your life. It's where your dreams reside. It's where your point of power is, like the fulcrum, right? The leverage point for you to change your life. So what I want you to do is I want you to break down those four buckets, okay? And a helpful point to note about just brainstorming in general is that we don't want we, we don't want to be precious about our ideas. We want to write down the ideas as they flow. We want to get into that flow state. Write down ideas as they come. We can always edit things down later. But if you start editing and breaking up that flow, the good ideas will stop, right? So break those four buckets down. So break down those buckets of what you love. What are your, what are your hobbies? What do you like? What would you do for free, right? Is it, is it like collecting a thing? Is it playing a game? Is it, you know, the gym? Is it basketball? What, what are the things that you love, right? Is it, is it some uh, personal interaction? Is it, what, what is it, right? Then what you're good at. What, what's your skills inventory? There's, there's a number of ways of making that skills inventory. And it's not always what you actually do for a job, right? So you can think outside of that. Like, what do you do? Uh, and other people are like, damn, that's really good. I didn't know you could draw like that. I didn't know that you could sing like that. I didn't know what are those gifts that you have and write down your giftedness. And then what you get paid for, what have you done in the past or what somebody would pay for that you do? So have you ever done any side hustles, side jobs? What you've done uh, some consulting? What, what actual occupations have you done in the past, right? And... Uh, then we look at what the world needs. And I think this is the trickiest part, and we talk about it all the time. What, what do customers actually need, right? The people that you know, that you interact with, what do they actually need? And on this simple level, without overthinking it too much, is if a business does something, and you know successful businesses that do one thing really well, the world needs that thing, right? So the intersection of all of those you'll start coming up with intersecting ideas. So an example of this is what you can get paid for and what the world needs could be a product, right? So what, what people pay for and what the world needs, that is a solution, generally a solution to the problem. It just m might mean that you don't know how to execute it, right? You're not you're not versed in that industry, right? And that might mean that you need to build a team. 
right? Uh, what you're good at and what you get paid for, that's simple. That's your job, right? That's something that you've done. It's pretty, pretty clear. Like if you get paid well to do something and you're good at it, it's probably, it's probably a job. So we look at these intersection points and we can do this for ourselves and we can do this for a team, but write down 10 in each of those four buckets and start playing with the combinations of these things and see how they overlap. And you can get new ideas on the fly. And you can do this as a situational context as well. So if you're having a problem with your business, you can look at all of these elements as they apply to the certain issue situation in hand, right? And you can come up with solutions very quickly. And you can do this with a team in a brainstorming manner, uh, whole nother conversation about brainstorming. I hate groupthink. I think you get the weakest, most mediocre ideas from that, but you might have a different culture than me. I think you should do everything individually and then you should collaborate. Everybody have their own flavor instead of everything just being salty. Right? But um, that is one of the techniques that we use to come up with new ideas, new solutions, work past problems. When you experience a problem, that's an opportunity to do something better, right? We just posted this in Instagram uh, today. It's, there's a little piece of this that's hard to admit for ourselves. It's like if, if we have a problem, it doesn't matter. It's like life, fitness, money, anything, relationships, it's our fault. And once we take ownership of that, then we have the freedom. We have the freedom to operate because any time that, uh, that we acknowledge that something needs to be improved, we're also acknowledging that, you know, kind of sucks, right? And if we can make that acknowledgement, then we can actually see what is not fantastic about it and then improve it, right? But we have to acknowledge that uh, it's all wrong. It's our fault that's okay, and that we have the agency, right? We have the ability to take action and make it better. So when we look at situations like now and how they impact our business, we can come up with ideas to make our business better than ever before. So when we come out to the other end of this, our business is leaner, right? It's faster. It's our marketing is tighter. It's, a, you know, it's more focused, like, We've spent this time to reach out to people who are bored sitting at home. Now's a great time to message all of your customers, talk to all of your customers. They're not doing anything else. I mean, you know, and tell them like, hey, what, what's uh, not so great about doing business with our company? What could we do better? What's the thing that you always wish that we do or could provide? Or what trouble is your business having that my business can do or that your life has that I could do for you? So now's a great time to reach out to people. So on the other side of this, we're far more competitive. We're far better than where we are today. All right, so continuing our uh, discussion from last week, what I'd like to keep doing is, is bringing you articles, information that I find around the web to highlight all of the, the wonderful companies that are putting out content to help people like myself, people like yourself that are trying to design, launch, grow physical product companies you know, we're, we're kind of in a niche, you know, it's only like a $1 trillion niche, but apparently the information is pretty hard to come by. So when I see something great, I, I got to share it with you. Um, 
Last week, we talked about hardwareclub.co. Really cool. But I ran across this article from GeekWire uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, the, this is kind of an, an axiomatic phrase, something that people take for granted that it's always true, is that hardware is hard, right? It's like, oh, it's so clever. So the title of this little clickbaity, Hardware Isn't Hard, a startup playbook for succeeding in a sector where many have failed. And it's true. A lot of people fail because uh, they don't have a whole lot of experience. They don't have a whole lot of resources. And it is, it is uh, time and money. You know, it's costly to get, to get into the physical product game. And um, people, even engineers coming out of school, don't have a whole lot of experience with that multidisciplinary concept of pulling a product together and marketing it and selling it and doing the whole thing, right? It's, it's, a, it's quite a bit. So, uh, great article. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, if you're on YouTube, I'll link it in the comments. But they're picking up on the information that CB Insights analyzed 400 hardware startups. And of course, like I always say, number one, Lack of customer demand. They built something that nobody wants, of course. Second one is high burn rate. So compared to software or compared to a services-based startup, hardware startups have incredibly high burn rates, meaning they just cost a lot. It costs a lot to make something that actually exists. Uh, Hardware requires significant capital expenditure to produce a working prototype. Hmm. I don't know. Does it? I don't know. I think I think we'll have to do we'll have to do a, another podcast on why it potentially doesn't. But traditionally, yes, that is the case. If you want to just straight build your idea, it's very expensive. Um, we approach things a little, little differently, where that uh, that process actually makes you money versus costs you money. But you know, thing I agree, it's expensive to make a prototype. Um, product iteration cycles for hardware consume significantly more resources and time than software products. That's true. Yeah. Making something real. It's hard to, it's hard to like NVP and injection mold. I love, I love these, uh, I love these, uh, examples. They gave the coolest cooler. It's one of my favorites in a, in a talk, you know, they made a ludicrous product. I don't really understand why somebody would want a $300 plus cooler that has has a speaker in it, but uh, it did very well on Kickstarter. The people tried to develop th- themselves, spent all of the money, uh, had to go get money, then had to start selling it on Amazon to recoup the money before they fulfilled the Kickstarter. So a lot of Kickstarters that you see that are successful, they actually spend all the money and they, they haven't built a business. They have no money left over to like even buy more units, right? So that's why you see cool products on Kickstarter. You're like, this is so awesome. I love it. And then it never, it never gets to Amazon. It never gets to, to become a business. It's just a, a product that some dude made, some, some you know, small team made. Uh, impossible to manufacture Lily drones. Oh, man. another. Uh, I'm pretty sure that they're talking about the little wrist mount drones. And uh, this would be another great podcast breakdown is when I see little things like that or the really flat watch that they had on Kickstarter that did really well. I mean, I don't know everything in the whole world, but I, 
I do know when I see something that's totally impossible to make, especially at that price point. Um, but uh, here's here's the tips from from GeekWire, and again, I'll probably uh, brutalize this guy's name, but N up. Thank you so much for the article. It's awesome. Uh, here's some here's some tips. Tweak don't make. Right uh, when the original team at Tesla set out to make the Roadster, da, 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 what they did is they built on top of an existing car, the Lotus Elise. So uh, this is fantastic. Yeah, you take an existing product and you add your intellectual property, you add your secret sauce, your specialization onto something. You don't invent a car from scratch. You're like, how do I make a tire? Right, you buy the tire. But so many hardware startups actually do this. They, they built everything from scratch, like every board, every everything. Or they go the other way and they build everything out of project, project boards like Arduinos and Raspberry Pis, which don't scale up to production. It's pretty much, in my opinion, largely a waste of time. Um, but this is kind of like our strategy of buying existing products, breaking them down, and then using that to mock up our our uh, quick NVP products. His second tip is go to China. Now, you guys know I'm super pro made in America, run a sizable manufacturing company, but I also get a ton of stuff made in China. And the reason is, is because if I want cheap things, if I want high scale, high turn rate on consumer product goods, it's probably going to ma- be made in China. Of course, we're, we're moving things over to Philippines and India and other places, Vietnam. But, you know, when we say move it to China, essentially, I, I think that they just mean send it overseas because there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of knowledge that's been built up, a lot of infrastructure that's been built up. Seeing Mexico come up a little bit, but those are for very high volume, big projects. So if you're making a like a Ford Raptor or something like that, you know, Mexico is a good solution. But uh, if you're making your Kickstarter thing, Probably going to Shenzhen. Uh, design to manufacture the prototype. I, I think this is really where you need to reach out to somebody who, who uh, is a manufacturing engineer or has a lot of experience with manufacturing. These are just very simple things that you can do to parts that make them extremely expensive or hard to assemble. Uh, in contract manufacturing, a lot of people don't know this. You pay for yield, right? So if if I if I make a hundred parts and only sixty of them can be good because you're product is so hard to make whether it's a line item or it's hidden in the cost you 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 pay for the whole hundred right you just do that's the only way manufacturers stay in business so um, if your product is very hard to make or very uh, hard to assemble yeah you're gonna pay for it so design for manufacture the prototype come home with a ready to manufacture version of your NVP a lot of factories are very helpful at iterating, but also know that if you go to three factories and show them the same design, all three of them will have different ideas about what is easy to manufacture. So um, have somebody on your team that can help you kind of sift through the good ideas for something that's universal so you're not locked into one one uh, possible vendor or you haven't destroyed your supply chain. I think that's, that's pretty universal across any business. Um, Unless you, you know, 
you like getting locked into your cloud supplier or there's other universal things that we see in apps that pretty much can't avoid like a programming language. You can't just switch, right? You can't, it's harder to switch from AWS over to Azure or whatever. It's, it's hard to switch your platforms. A uh, keep, keep iterating says once you do the play testing or field testing, go back to China again, rinse and repeat until you know your MVP is ready to go for mass production. So we, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I mean, you're going to spend a ton of money, uh, and hopefully make good money once you go to your final production of your product. But people want to see this process as a, I'm going to 3D print some parts, send it over to China, bing, I'm going to get boxes of pristine, beautiful parts back, no problem. That is not realistic. Um, you know, not, not to pitch our service or anything, but there's a lot behind the scenes that happens. Uh, with every component, every uh, assembly, the way that it's tested, the way that it's sourced, that makes it so you get that polished product. And even as, after the initial production run, you're going to have tweaks, like the packaging needs to be tweaked like this. The logistics need to be tweaked. The way it's warehoused or fits on a pallet should be tweaked. So there's lots of ways to pull costs out that aren't really just the actual product itself. Um, but again, this is a... This is an awesome article. Uh, it uh, it came out in January 2020. It's great to see people still writing great articles about hardware startups, physical product startups. I see a huge resurgence of influencers and brands switching over from simple things like T-shirts and courses into physical products. And I know it's a way to build a sustainable, brandable business, like a real business that can last and can grow. So I, I see that interest popping up, and so I'm seeing a little bit more content popping up too. But thank you so much. This is End Hype Podcast. I'm out. Thank you for listening to the End Hype Podcast. Follow Callie on social at Callie Keen to stay up to date with a bunch of free content and information. Change your life and change the world. End Hype.